In light of all these executive excesses, what can be done to restore the freedom Americans once had? Even better, how can we return to a society even more free than before, something more akin to biblical controls on executive tyranny? Well, the answer is two-faceted. First, there are some things average, can, average people can do right now. And secondly, there are larger goals toward which we must aim. As far as things average people can do now, we must first remember our priorities. Go back to the first topic uh, of this project and work your way through. Pull your kids out of public schools. Plan and fight for your family's autonomy and old age and insurance, etc. Focus on localism, local politics, local control. Start exposing and fighting the massive wastes and corruption and debts that exist in the hall and thousands of halls of local governments. Start focusing on state-level solution to problems like abortion, exercise Tenth Amendment rights, nullification, things like that. Uh, just these first four topics, if put to practice by groups in every county across this nation, would go a long way toward softening the scaly underbelly of Leviathan, leaving that monster vulnerable to the forces of freedom. But these topics must come first, because hearts and minds must change through education and individual, local example. And the sacrifices must be made by the serious, the faithful, and the courageous first. As Volume 9 of the Biblical Blueprint series encourages us, quote, I'm not calling for wholesale revisions of the Constitution today. These changes must be implemented only after a full-scale revival and the clear-cut political triumph of Christians as self-conscious Christian voters. Attempting to amend the Constitution before you have the votes is suicidal. This would play into the hands of the humanist left wing. Just as internationalism prior to international revival is extremely dangerous, so is attempting any constitutional amendment nationally before a national revival. This would be top-down political transformation, something quite foreign to Christian social theory. It puts the cart before the horse. The religious transformation must precede the political transformation. The political transformation must precede the constitutional transformation. We must therefore content ourselves for the present with small steps. There are many Christians who cannot see this today who, or who would deny it. If society is left to their influence, statists will dominate. There will be no revival of faith and freedom, and society will decline under God's judgment or even possibly catastrophic collapse. It will not matter who the president, congressman, or judges are if they do not first have a biblical worldview and biblical doctrine of exercising power. Changing our priorities and acting accordingly is the first step in creating a generation of properly focused leaders and citizens. Secondly, Christians must change their view of the scope of missions. It was a false, de-Christianized view of missions that led us into the tyranny we have today, both in regard to messianic warfare and messianic central planning. You can't have messianic social progress unless you have the Messiah in control, legally, judicially, and executively. And this means that instead of seeking change through coercion, whether the central planning state or the warfare nation-building state, we must have a more concentrated effort of evangelism, of proper, full, biblical worldview, biblical society discipleship. 
My friend and colleague Bojidar Marinov pioneered this field in international missions, particularly in Bulgaria, with a simple translation ministry, translating the pro-Christian society writings of R.J. Rushduni, Gary North, Greg Bonson, myself, Gary DeMar, and others. People are beginning to replicate this effort in places like Brazil, Puerto Rico, Chile, Italy, and even France. Bojidar is also currently writing a book on missions done the biblical way to be published hopefully this year. But we must not make the mistake of thinking missions means international missions alone. As one missionary once told me, don't fly over a mission field to get to one. As far as learning how biblical freedom applies to every area of government and life, America is nearly as needy a mission field as anywhere else. Indeed, many places are less problematic than America because they haven't already grown up with the facade of a Christian nation, uh, deceiving them into complacency. Educational matters aside, what can individuals do to combat executive tyranny in all of these areas? Well, what you can do is get involved in local politics and become an influence in things uh, against things like Agenda 21. You can form an unofficial local group dedicated to exposing and raising awareness of such intrusions into local government and life. Alert your local sheriff, council members, the local public to these programs along with the examples of those who are already fighting encroaching tyranny in their local areas and counties. There are a lot of these groups. For example, there's one called the County Sheriff Project. There's Support Rural America. There's uh, examples of counties like Siskiyou County, I believe, in California. There's Defend Rural America. There are other things, 24-hour patriots and uh, constitutionalsheriffs.com. All of these, as well as the pioneering efforts of Sheriff Richard Mack as far as the sheriff's relation to the Constitution. Through efforts like these, we can withstand intrusions at local and even state levels in a highly visible way. And this sends a message of popular support for organized resistance to tyranny. The more small groups doing this across the country, the more visible and pervasive that message will be. Well, the larger social and political needs are more easily stated, but they're harder to achieve. Now, these include revamping the constitutional treaty-making process, as well as curtailing the power of the executive department. That includes uh, the presidential use of emergency powers and executive orders. The policy suggestions which follow largely track the recommendations given in the blue Biblical Blueprint series volume, Healer of the Nations. First, we absolutely need a constitutional amendment that places greater checks on the President's treaty-making powers. No treaty should be ratified without a full two-thirds majorities, not just of a quorum, in both houses of Congress. We should at least consider making distinctions between treaties of commerce and treaties of peace or alliance, as the Federal Farmer suggested. And since treaties of commerce have much more effect on internal laws, they should be held to the same standard of passage as all domestic legislation. Any treaty that has such effect should be treated so. We need transparency and accountability in the State Department. That huge book I mentioned listing all of the treaties, uh, these treaties should be compiled all in one place online, indexed in every way possible, searchable, and in full text. There should be a complete study done as to which ones are still in force, how they currently affect U.S. code and American people. And this change would require only one thing, a willing executive. 
Secondly, we need to get out of the United Nations. The United States should never send a dime to the United Nations. It's a messianic organization designed to redistribute wealth throughout the world via many socialistic schemes, centralize global public policy, advance this public, uh, pagan nature religion, and implementing global governments at local levels through comprehensive programs like Agenda 21. UN staff members are required to take an oath of allegiance to the United Nations. The Office of the Secretariat's own website says the following, quote, as international civil servants, staff and members and the Secretary General answer to the United Nations alone for their activities and take an oath not to seek or receive instructions from any government or outside authority. Under the Charter, each member state undertakes to respect the exclusively international character of the responsibilities of the Secretary General and the staff and to refrain from seeking to influence them improperly in the discharge of their duties. Any American taking such a job and thus such an oath should automatically be required to revoke their U.S. citizenship or face charges of treason. Now that's harsh sounding as a reaction, but it gets to the heart of what the UN is all about. It's a would-be global government designed to transcend national sovereignty. Only Jesus Christ has any claim to legitimate global sovereignty. Third, we need drastically to cut the size and even the existence of the executive departments. The State Department currently has a budget of over $27 billion and a staff of almost 50,000 employees. George Washington ran it with six. And this is just one department. The IRS alone employs over 100,000. In an age in which government spending has become virtually the biggest threat to future liberty, the size of these executive bureaucracies is simply executive insanity. Fourth, the president should veto any appropriations bill that doesn't balance the budget, and frankly, in light of the ballooning national debt, he should veto any spending bill that does not follow a plan to create a surplus and begin eliminating huge chunks of the national debt. Such reductions would likely take care of the war and nation-building problem as well. And while at it, he should veto any bill, period, that construes the Constitution to increase the powers of the federal government. The veto is an awesome power, rarely used for the public good. Fifth, the President should rescind all 13,600-plus executive orders. Granted, he would have to use an executive order to do so, but this one would at least have the virtue of being negative, canceling government powers rather than creating more of them. Congress should then enact a bill treating all future executive orders like any other law, not actionable unless passed by both chambers of Congress and then signed by the President. Sixth, we need an act which genuinely and forcefully binds the executive in regard to national emergencies and emergency powers. The acts passed in 1976 and 77 under the guise of reining in the abuse of emergency powers have done nothing but codify the abuse by statute while placing only mild checks on them. The result has been a drastic increase in the number of declared emergencies, handing presidents uh, powers normally reserved only for war. These feeble acts must either be drastically revised were repealed and replaced with legislation that requires full congressional approval of declared emergencies, again, via recorded roll call votes. The main goals of these actions are twofold. 
first to check the power of the presidency and bring that power back as close to the people as possible. In each of these proposals, Congress becomes responsible for the legislation or other governmental actions which have the force of legislation. Congress stands responsible for spending, war, tyranny, emergency, invasive measures, etc. And they are on record as to who voted for what. In the case of bills which the president vetoes, it's even better. This means a supermajority of Congress would be required to pass it. And if there is passed a war or more debt or infractions of civil liberties, etc., then the president's veto makes the Congress own the legislation. Any unpopular bill passed by a supermajority at that point will land a lot of congressmen out of work. The second major goal is to remove the massive infrastructure of tyranny that's grown up since the New Deal in 1933. And if we could get past back beyond the Wilsonian and Civil War administrations, that would be even better. But a pre-1933 level of federal intrusion in our lives would at least free us from most of the emergency powers abuses, the bloated federal bureaucracies, peacetime central planning, and abuses of executive orders. Even here, however, we need structural changes in order to hinder any attempts to resume such powers in the future. Again, these larger structural changes can only come about and have lasting effects if a massive change of hearts and minds occurs first. There are waves of this change happening right now, so there is hope, but we've got a long way to go. The most important steps to take now are local. Begin individual and organized opposition to local spending, local debts, and intrusions into local sovereignty. A hundred counties eventually telling the EPA and the FDA no will lay impressive foundations for genuine social change toward liberty and send a strong message to the bureaucrats that central planners who wish to make marionettes of us all. A thousand counties would be better. A thousand counties backed by state governments would be even better yet. <laughs>